So hi, this is John Reed with FreeFromCorporateAmerica.com, and I'm here with Morris Rosenthalophonerbooks.com. Hello, hello. I managed to talk Morris into uh, another round of our uh, experimental podcast series. So this time we're going to talk about ebooks, and Morris has had a lot of success of late with uh, his ebook initiative. And so maybe we could just start there with uh, with your recent experiences on ebooks. Well, my current experience with ebooks is I'm selling um, PDF copies of books of my published books, which I'm just generating straight out of Microsoft Word, and I sell them um, through my website. It's the only place that that I have them for sale. I'm not selling them through Amazon or Moby Pocket or any of the secondary or tertiary ebook sites. I do use uh, two services to carry out the sale. I didn't put any effort into building my own merchant system. So I use eJunkie, that's e-junkie.com, as the actual download service, something they charge $5 a month for. And I use PayPal to process the payments. And I've found far more than in previous years, people are actually looking to PayPal as the safe way to buy things now. Whereas years ago, they got so many spam emails from people trying to steal their PayPal information, it was kind of a turnoff. Today, it's very well accepted internationally, and I think the spam filters have gotten smart enough to reject most of those phishing expeditions. So part of the key to your current plan is you did have to build up your website audience enough to have a platform to sell your ebooks. Absolutely. Um, I'm not saying that it takes a tremendous amount of traffic. For example, if you can draw, oh, 100 visitors a day on some subject where you're, which is about uh, you know, some informational subject, something where people might feel the, that they have more to learn than just the question that brought them to your website. A hundred visitors a day might be enough to sell one ebook copy a day. And if that sounds like, well, you know, how am I ever going to get there? A uh, hundred visitors a day isn't a difficult goal at all for an informational website site. You should be able to get thousands if you have any amount of content. Now, one of the interesting things about ebooks is the question of how much are you pirating away from your your uh, conventional book sales? I've seen publishers be worried about, well, if I put out ebooks, I'm not going to make as much money through, hard, through my hardcover or my softcover, like print edition. So how did you sort of do the math on that in your mind? Well, I figure it's close enough to zero not to matter. Somebody actually asked me that question this morning in, a, in an email interview, and I pointed out that the first of the series of books I started releasing as ebooks this past summer, I actually published as an ebook a good month before I released the paper version. And I did that on purpose just to see whether or not the ebook sales would fall off once the paper version appeared. And they didn't. But, you know, we're talking about a relatively small sample size. So I, I don't know how far you want to extrapolate from that. I probably sell, you know, on average two copies a day of that ebook. So. You know, if I was just having a slow month when it was released, um, you can't draw too tight of a conclusion for that. But I did sell a lot of ebooks years ago with uh, digital rights management back in the days that Amazon sold ebooks. And when, when Amazon sold ebooks from third parties like Lightning Source and Ingram, and I just never saw any sign of signs of cannibalization then, despite the fact I had some of the top selling ebooks on Amazon. So. Let's talk a little bit about how the ebook industry has changed so that folks can understand that a little bit because there was a period where you didn't need your own platform as much because you could 
sort of piggyback off of Amazon's, but that's changed a lot now. Can you sort of describe what the retail options for ebooks are right now? Yeah, well, if you're if you're famous, you, the you know, in other words, if you're a, a big fiction author or a doctor with a diet book and you have your name out there and all that, um, the Amazon platform might work well for you because you might be driving a, a, enough sales that even with the economics of Kindle, you're making good money. Um, that's not the case for me. I mean, currently the deal Amazon offers publishers, who, small publishers who go direct to them through their Kindle program is 35% of net, I believe. Some all people might have been grandfathered in at 50%, but for a relatively inexpensive product, I mean, if you're selling a $10 ebook on Amazon, you're getting $3.50, whereas if you're selling it on your own website, you're getting $9.70 or whatever it comes out to after the PayPal fees. So there's really very little desire on my part to push customers to Amazon for ebooks and I handle that by not offering my ebooks on Amazon, with the exception of the one on publishing that I did just as an experiment. Right. So there's all these sexy new formats like Moby and Kindle and and EPUB. EPUB everybody loves. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't consider formats to be an important thing yet. Uh, and currently, the the challenge for ebook publishers is just finding customers who are willing to buy ebooks. Uh, there's a lot of people who are willing to buy ebooks. By the way, I don't have. I've been averaging fifteen hundred bucks a month lately selling them. But uh, you have to find the customers who who really want the books. There are very few people who are going to buy them from the for the novelty of, oh well, I laid out four hundred dollars for a Kindle, or maybe they brought the price down to three fifty. But you know, you've spent a lot of money on a Kindle, so now you buy a few of the top titles just for the sake of buying them because you now own a Kindle and want something to read. Uh, the formats are something that it's it's really an industry-driven thing that publishing industries, uh, companies and individuals, especially consultants, are just used to doing everything by committee. You know, So they have conferences and they work on standards and it's been going on forever. I went to an e-book conference back in 2000 where they were all arguing about what what is an ebook and what software is going to prevail and nobody could agree on anything so now to some extent they're agreed on epub you know big deal it's it's not the ebook sales aren't driven by readers yet by any means they're they're driven by the internet the ability of people to download these things instantaneously at, at any time in any place and as long as the publisher is providing a reader or access to a free reader for the ebook format people will be okay with that. And again, in my case, I'm just selling PDF files, so Adobe Acrobat is all the reader they need. Right, and when you think about the impediments to getting involved in selling ebooks, one that comes up a lot is sort of this paranoid, or maybe not so paranoid, concern around if I make my electronic content so available on PDF format, you know, then someone can easily take it and run with it? Or do I bury it down in, in digital rights management that makes it less friendly to the consumer? And you've kind of sorted through a lot of this yeah, stuff. Well, originally I did publish with digital rights management, and you know I was pretty happy with my sales. As I said, I often had two titles in the top 100 on Amazon back then as e-books. But uh, you, know, you get complaints primarily. I think the, the biggest complaint I ever got was from a publishing blogger because it's a very... Um, I don't want to say incestuous, but the publishing world is very inwardly focused. 
And when one publishing blogger or one publishing pundit says something, you know, like, oh, DRM is horrible and here's why, all the other pundits pick it up and they run with that. And they don't realize, they're not listening to their customers. Their customers aren't contacting them and saying DRM is horrible. The only customers who ever contacted me about DRM were essentially those who had lost their ebooks. And sometimes that happens because of DRM, since if you move computers and you take the copy, but you didn't properly uninstall and reinstall, say, the Acrobat Reader or whatever Adobe was using for digital rights management in those days, you might lose access to the file, and then they'd contact me and I'd either fix it for them or send them a print copy of the book. Um, in, the, in the newer sense of you just selling these unprotected PDFs like I do now, I'm still getting uh, emails from customers. I've probably had three or four so far where they've lost the ebook and need a replacement. And that has nothing to do with DRM. It has to do with their hard drive died or their you know laptop disappeared or something like that. And I'm happy to replace it for them because it doesn't cost me anything to replace it, and they are in fact the you know the lawful buyer. Yeah, and you've come up with an interesting tactic for the possibility that someone might post some of your material, which is to embed links in the content. And can you describe why that is useful? Well, it's useful on a couple levels. I think I originally came up with the idea because I wanted to link to photographic content on my site so that I could have the illustrated procedures for some books without having to put them in the book text. And while putting them in an ebook text wouldn't be hard, adding them to a print-on-demand book text would have been quite a bit of work, and they might not have come out that nice and couldn't have done color. And since my ebooks are really reprintings of my print-on-demand books, I didn't want to diverge between the two. But the great thing about having links in ebooks back to your site, and this has already worked for me, if you want to call it that, if somebody takes your, your ebook and reposts it to a site like... A, Oh, the name is escaping me now. What's the, what's the name of the big site that sounds like it's an American company? It's not Chartio. It is... Mm. All right, the name of this is escaping me. It'll come to me. But they're, they're a well-known website that uh, is there ideally to publish electronic content for people, but which many people immediately started criticizing as, you know, the YouTube of of book infringement because it's loaded up with with uh, copies of books that people didn't have permission to post. And so one day, I had never heard of the site Scribdy, it was the name of the site. Uh, so I just, looking in my server stats, saw a visitor coming from Scribdy, didn't know who they were, so I went to check it out, as I often do, and it turned out they had some copies of my ebooks there that people had uploaded illegally. Um, because it's an American company and a real company, on a request, they took them down, and I haven't seen them reappear yet, though I go and search from time to time. And I found the same is true for other large uh, file-sharing sites that have some form of legitimacy. You know, if they're a real company, they don't want to be sued for copyright infringement, so if you follow their procedures for issuing a takedown notice or for asking them to remove content, uh, they should definitely do it. It's it's unfortunate that the process can be lengthy and demanding, making you feel like a criminal for trying to prevent somebody from stealing from you. But rather than simply arguing with them, I'll go through it. And so far it's kept 
the lid on very blatant infringements. The second tier infringements, the one where, you know, in some country nobody would send their credit card to as somebody has stolen your ebook and is reselling it or giving it away free, there's really nothing you can do about that once it's out there. I mean, they could have bought a paper copy of your book and scanned it as well. Um, but on the other hand, most people understand that those are criminal sites. Whereas on the common file sharing sites, if your ebook is there, a lot of people will just assume that that's legitimate and that you're willing to give it away. So, I think sometimes people get a little hung up on, oh, if I put something up, it's going to get stolen. I can't possibly make any money on it. When in fact, the more important question is, if you come up with a topic that's marketable, as you have, then even if you lose a certain percentage of sales, you're still going to sell a lot of books. So the question becomes, what kinds of topics are are, are really good for, for an ebook? Well, I, I don't think there really is a limitation on topics other than, say, literary fiction or literary nonfiction, where those titles will work if they're sold through Amazon on Kindle, if you're already famous. But it's very difficult to bring people to a website for literary writing because it's just not the sort of thing they're out there looking for unless you're already known. But anything that you can draw visitors to your website on so they can read samples or be reading related material and then see that you have this ebook for sale, um, all of those work. But it's a, it's a good opportunity that you brought up, John, to point out that there are really several different ebook business models that don't really overlap that much. Um, one of them is the big trade model of taking bestsellers or backlist books that they've published that have gone through the trade process and have been out there as books and publishing those as ebooks. And in most cases, they want those to be formatted fairly carefully. On Kindle, there are limitations, but in other cases, they might spend appreciable money trying to make it look really good on a particular ebook reader or a computer screen. And that's one business model, and not only am I not real well, I'm involved in that business model because one of my McGraw-Hill books um, is sold as an e-book, and every royalty statement I get, you know, 10 e-book sales or something like that. But it's not a big part of their business. For most trade publishers, e-books are an afterthought, an idea that we have this content, how can we monetize it a little more? And those large trade publishers who are getting kind of desperate now, like the newspapers losing readership, and thinking that ebooks are going to be their salvation, I mean, I have bad news for them. I don't think they can make their models work on ebook revenue. The next type of ebook publisher, I would say, would be, you know, people or companies like myself who are already in the publishing business, publishing books, and publishing, inf uh, publishing ebook versions of their books, just like the big trades but with one important difference, that we're really web-based businesses. So we're getting plenty of visitors to our websites to buy these ebooks. It's not an afterthought like someone going to Amazon and, oh, I happen to have a Kindle, so maybe I'll buy the Kindle version because I see it's LinkedIn for sale. People who come, I mean, currently, I think my ebook sales for the titles that I'm publishing as ebooks and print-on-demand books, about a third of the sales are ebooks for those titles, somewhere between a third and half. So the ebook sales are, are pretty appreciable for those books because a lot of the visitors to my websites are coming from other countries, and that's a, the easiest way for them to get books, certainly, and the most inexpensive is to just buy a download of the, over the internet. 
And then a lot of people just don't mind, don't like waiting. I mean, I don't think the saving a few dollars over the print version is a big motivator for most people. It's the getting the book now. You know, while they have it in their mind, they're going to spend the ten bucks or twelve bucks, and they're going to get the book and they're going to read it. Um, so there's two business models. The third business model, and was perhaps the most practiced ebook business model over time. If you go out and Google, get into the ebook business, or how can I make money selling ebooks, or any of that, what you're going to do is fall into this con racket where the ebooks that these people are publishing really aren't of any value. They're, they're purpose created in order to sell them as ebooks over the internet using advertising. And the people who are creating them often aren't the authors at all. They're just outsourcing the work to copywriters in low-cost locations or countries. And they, they start with some premise like, uh, well, John here has written a tremendous about, uh, amount about SAP consulting. They might say, we want an SAP consulting ebook. So go look over John Reed's website, take each one of his blog posts, reword it, and we'll have a book. And that's legal. I mean, you can look at other people's work and rewrite it from scratch. Reword it might be a little loosey-goosey. Um, but it, it won't be valuable if the person who's doing the rewriting doesn't actually understand what they're writing. And it won't be valuable in the sense that they could have gotten it for free on John's you know, blog as well. But that's really the predominant model that's pushed out there for, for ebook publishing. And the reason that it works, and it works pretty well from what I understand, is because of online advertising. It's very difficult for somebody with garbage content to get people to come to their website through search, but it's very easy to get visitors to your website through, uh, through advertising. All you have to do is hit that balanced equation of how much am I paying for a visitor, how, many, how likely is this visitor going to buy this ebook if they show up, and am I making a profit? So in the case of, say, that SAP consulting ebook, where someone might slap a $50 price tag on it and still get people buying because it's a high-paying profession and some people are very desperate for information, they might determine that they can buy 2,000 clicks for $49, and of those 2,000 clicks, one person will buy the ebook. So therefore, they're making a dollar for every uh, 2,000 clicks that they buy. And as long as there's enough advertising real estate out there that they can run their ads on, they can spend $10,000 a day on advertising because they're making it back that same day in ebook sales and more. So for people who really don't care what they're selling, it's a very attractive business model. All you have to do is be able to do the math and work out what works. I'm not saying they'll succeed with every ebook, by the way, but I think they probably get to figure out what they're doing after a while and are pretty consistent. <coughs> well, uh, anyone who's listened to that, if you get ideas about recycling my blog, you should put that in the back of your mind. So I'll have a team of corporate lawyers after you so fast, you won't know why I hit you. But uh, but no, I and, you know I think it's fair to acknowledge the different business models that are out there and. And, you know, in terms of the themes of my website, Free From Corporate America, it's the, the middle business model you described that's most appealing because while the large trade publishers are probably too bloated with operating costs to really have an effective ebook channel, for a smaller publisher or someone who just blogs a lot who hasn't gotten into publishing yet, the key to profitability is having good 
good revenue channels like ebooks, and this is something we talked about in our last podcast where in the final analysis it's the profitability of your lifestyle and your business that matters more than necessarily your revenue structure itself. Yeah, well, and with those what are called, you know, the evil ebook sellers, I think they make an effort to give enough value so that they don't get a lot of complaints and requests for refunds and better business bureau complaints. And I don't really think that, 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 that that's all that hard because most people who get a little bit conned, I mean, heck, I've bought some, bought some awful books from Amazon by big trade publishers. I've given you some of them and said, you know, I don't even want this damn thing in my house. And uh, I've never gone to Amazon and given them a one-star review or something. Yeah, maybe I should, but as an author, I'm kind of sympathetic to to not going out of my way to knock people. And who knows, maybe some idiot would find those books useful. Yeah, I mean, bad books are certainly not limited to e-books, that's for sure. But they do. I should point out, I mean, I've, I've gone to the website. People will write me and they'll say, Ah, Morris, I love all this stuff you're writing and everything sounds really great. But... I've been talking to this other guy online, and he has this program on how I can become an e-book publisher and make a lot of money, and it all makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm tempted to do that. And I'll go to these websites and look, and they they all sort of sell the same thing, which is this um, sure thing kind of approach that you use the tools that are available on the Internet for determining how much traffic there is for a given subject, and you experience, experiment some with advertising to find out how much it's going to cost you to attract people. And then the, the book or the ebook is just this third consideration that, oh, if somebody, like I sell a book and an ebook about print on demand publishing. I mean, it's something that uh, I wrote back in, what, 2004, uh, based on my own experiences, and I'm somewhat known for. But if somebody wanted to do an ebook on that, they could pay someone and say, look, go out and find the top ten things that irritate people about print-on-demand publishing and string together a list of bullets for each of those top ten things and then fill out each of those top ten things with ten paragraphs of explanatory text and poof, there's an ebook. Somebody who buys it is going to look at it and say, well, you know, someone did this, some work on this. It's not necessarily for me. Uh, the sad thing about it is when books are written by people who don't actually have any knowledge or experience about the subject, they can mislead you. I mean, it would be even worse if they were well-written and compelling so that you read these e-books that are really just being written to make a little profit for the for the e-book publisher and were you know, misguided into either spending a lot of money and losing it or not taking an opportunity that's there because they're knocking it. So are you advocating this somewhat cynical business model to our listeners or you No, I, absolutely not, of course. Um I don't to me the 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 fatal flaw in that model even as a business, even if you were putting aside the morality of it, is that eventually you'd figure the advertising cost would creep up until they couldn't make any money because other ebook publishers would be competing with them on the same things and be driving up the cost per click or conversion, and eventually they wouldn't be able to make money in anything that they were actually able to, you know, make popular. Whereas the model that I advocate and that we follow is to bring visitors to your website with content for free. So, you know, any in that sense, any sales that I make of my ebooks are, you know, all profit, except for the time that I invested, and it's time I would have invested anyway. 
Right, and one of the things I talk about a lot in my book is that while you definitely want to listen to the market and do work that is marketable, that I think you pay a price when you go too far away from what you're passionate about, and that's why I get a little bit skeptical of these cookie-cutter business models, these surefire businesses, because to me, in the long run, the best thing to be doing is to be doing work you care about in an industry that you have passion for. Of course you want it to be marketable, but on the bad days when you're not making money, liking what you do makes a lot of difference. Oh, absolutely. And and your readers can tell whether or not you like what you do. It's it's pretty hard to fake. You know, I don't want to say that people who get suckered on the Internet aren't reading carefully. I mean, it, and to an extent, it, it reminds me of the those phone calls we all get at home trying to sell us all kinds of garbage or get our social security numbers or whatever. And sometimes you get these you know, phone calls and you say, what kind of idiot would, would possibly hand over their credit card number or their social security number when I hang up as soon as I realize it's an automated call? And the answer is there are people out in the world who are depressed or, you know, confused. They're taking medication and haven't gotten the dosage right yet or they're getting older and they're not all that uh, savvy anymore to cons. And there's a large number of these people, and they're online, and when they arrive at a website that's nothing but a sales pitch, uh, and the price is right, as in low enough, they very well might be inclined to buy. I mean, there are people who are addicted to buying real things on the home shopping network that they don't even have a place for, so at least ebooks, they don't have to make room on the shelf. Yeah, and you brought up an important point about, about getting people to buy, and I think that's a question in terms of looking at the business model we've been talking about here. You have an ebook. Um, how much of that content do you give away, and how much of that do you not give away in order to, we talk about it in terms of conversion rate, but more simply it's you want to engage people and get the search engine traffic from your content, but you also want to get people to buy something. So how do you figure out that formula for yourself? Yeah, there, I don't. I don't really have a formula. It varies greatly. For for my publishing book, for example, I don't recall offhand. I think the book is fifty or sixty thousand words. I probably have ten times that much information on my website at this point. What with the four hundred plus blog posts and all the other pages, so there's nothing at all in my book about publishing that you can't learn and learn more and better by reading everything on my website. But I. You know, it's, it's a lot of reading on the computer screen to do. And, of course, on the website, it's not organized in that way that I think is very important for something to be a resource. You really want to start at A and end up at Z and give people a sort of a narrative arc, at least, of what's going on. Um, in the case, I, I have been talking with other publishers. In the case of uh, one of my ebooks, relatively little of it is online. I'd say maybe... 20%, and it's quite possible that if I ran that up to 60% or 80%, I would sell a lot more uh, e-books and, and paper books. I, I have observed that people are, are pretty good. The people who are going to be your customers, generally speaking, are willing to be your customers. I don't have any hard selling. I don't think that my website has ever convinced somebody who doesn't want to buy a book to buy a book. Um, it's they, they show up, they read enough of this or that to become convinced that I'm someone they want to listen to, and they really buy the books not for the for what they were searching for, because whatever they were searching for, they, they found it on my website. That's why they got there. I don't play these uh, 
you know, tricky games. Um, they buy the book because they figure this guy is knowledgeable and maybe he'll be able to answer some questions I haven't even thought of asking yet. Yeah, so there's almost this phenomenon where the key element for buying, assuming that it's someone like you or me and we're not running scam sites but we want to deliver something of value, there's there's almost a trust factor that develops even though you're not talking with the person. There's some kind of virtual trust they get out of reading the authenticity and expertise and feel like I can relate to this person and they know what they're talking about and that trust leads them on the path towards wanting to buy something. Sure, absolutely. And I, I've even gotten emails from people who have said just letting you know I'm buying your book or your ebook because you helped me out so much I feel I owe you something. And you know, that's you know, I, I don't mind those charity buys. Right. There's definitely something I've noticed on the internet a lot where like not giving away enough is a problem that's People are afraid because they're afraid to give away something because they feel like, well, if I satisfy this person, they're not going to buy. But I've worked with a lot of sites where I feel like they don't preview enough content. They don't give you enough. And a lot of times when you solve a problem for someone, they want to up the ante and come back to you with a bigger problem or a bigger issue. And that's the buying pattern I see most frequently online. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it's just... Uh Somewhere there is a balancing act. I mean, I did a video on the subject once, but I do remember with my first book that I did as a print-on-demand, I think back in 2002, I hadn't tried self-publishing in maybe four or five years at that point, so I was getting back to it with this new thing, uh, you know, Amazon and Internet distribution, and I had the full draft version of this book online, and eventually some guy wrote me and said, you know, I, several people wrote me and said, is this the whole thing online? And I'd say, yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't have the editing and the, you know, little conclusions chapter, but I wrote the book online and I left the draft online after I finished writing it. And eventually some guy wrote me, it was a business book, and said, you say in this book that, you know, you should really know whether you're running a business or a hobby because they're two different things. You're giving this book away for free. Doesn't that mean you're running a hobby rather than a business? And, you know, I decided the guy was right. So uh, what I did is I took part of it offline. I, I think I left the first half of the chapters and took off the second half. And that worked. My sales went up, but my web traffic dropped quite a bit. And I wasn't real crazy about that. So in the end, I settled on having the first three or four chapters, maybe, um, being online completely in the draft form. And after that, one major excerpt from each chapter, because each chapter had, you know, several sub-subjects. But I was, always, I was always careful to do it so that the, whatever was online on the page would hopefully answer whatever question the people were coming from. Because people aren't interested in partial solutions on your website. They, they understand that you might not want to give away everything you have, and therefore you're not going to provide everything that's in a given book. But you, you don't want to live, leave people with these cliffhangers like, okay, disconnect all the wires from the wall socket, disconnect the oxygen pump from your grandmother's, you know, hospital bed, inject 40 cc's of something, and now buy my ebook, or I won't tell you what's left. Right. Those kinds of cliffhangers really tend to lead to resentment more often than... And death. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. And liability, now that you mention it. So, um, well, freedom of speech, you have to keep in mind. It's tough to be liable for, for bad advice unless people perceive it as being professional advice. I suppose so, but I still don't want to get tied up in court because someone's pissed 
that they electrocuted Kill the grandma. Them. Yeah. So I think we're nearing the end of our ebook discussion. There's a few points that I think either didn't get mentioned or that we should emphasize. One is the idea of, in terms of cannibalizing your existing sales, you made a point about having an international audience and that part of what ebooks can do is extend your reach. So I wanted to put that out there. Another piece of it is the idea of Kindle and, and these sexy formats like Kindle are not necessarily to be dismissed, but they're not at the heart of making money with ebooks. And the third point has to do with pricing. We haven't talked much about that, but basically I noticed that you do tend to price your ebooks a bit less than your printed copies, and I guess that's another trial and error thing, but maybe you just want to comment on the themes I just threw out there. Yeah, well, on the last one first, I really wish it was a trial and error thing, but I'm so lazy about this that I've never experimented with ebook pricing. And in fact, I don't experiment with paper book pricing either. Um, what I do is I look at what other books sell for in a particular genre. I, I look at what I would be willing to pay for the book myself if I hadn't written it. And then I usually lower that a couple bucks and go with it. And that might be a little self-defeating. I don't know. But uh, So I go with those prices and I stick with them. Now, I have friends in publishing who have you know, experimented endlessly with the prices of their books on Amazon, with the prices of their e-books. And they may, in fact, find a sweet spot where they make more money. Uh, my gut feeling, though, is on the whole, and some of this gut feeling is based on my earlier experiments with just linking Amazon, for example, to sell books, that you can tweak things like crazy and get a perceived gain of 5% or 10%, but it's just hard to tell on a statistical basis whether or not it's significant unless you run the experiment for a year or you're selling 1,000 books a day. And uh, consequently, it's it's not something I've ever really spent a whole lot of time on. I mean, another part of that is just that I'm making you know something of a living, so I, I don't have to worry about it. Um, so my ebook pricing is really kind of random. I know for in fact, the way I came up with the ebook price for the first book that I that I uh, published as an ebook this summer, the hardcover, not the hardcover, the paper book, is twenty four ninety five. And I was going to ask, I think, 1995 for the ebook. And I went to my PayPal account to set up to take it. And it turned out that I was automatically adding shipping costs to books um, because that's how I had set up the account originally because I was selling paper books. And I just couldn't figure out a simple way quickly to stop adding shipping costs to books. And here I'm selling an ebook with no shipping cost. And then I found out that you could set a filter on PayPal so it only charged shipping over a certain amount. So I dropped that ebook price all the way down to $13.95 or $6 less than I intended to charge uh, simply to beat that uh, shipping cost issue. And I just never fooled around with changing anything afterwards. All right, so a uh, little bit of random advice on the pricing piece of it there. Uh, but uh, but I think it is something that folks could potentially experiment with. I think the general rule of pricing your ebooks a little bit cheaper than your paper books tends to make sense. But yeah, look, I, I've heard from people on both sides. I've had people say you don't charge enough for e for your ebooks, um, and then I've had people say ebooks so much better if they're four dollars or eight dollars. Uh, you know, it may well be true. I, I had an experience years ago selling. Uh, Aaron Shepard had a a book out, a, a very short ebook that he sold through Amazon, 
and it was on the subject of typography. I don't remember the exact name. And I had that ebook linked on Amazon from a page that I had put online about cover design. And just with a little note that said, and if you want to know how to produce a you know, print-on-demand book block using Microsoft Word, you can buy this ebook from Eric Shepard for $6, as I believe what it was. And it was my highest sell-through item of all times. So I don't remember if I was selling one a day or one every other day. But, you know, something like 30 or 40 percent of the people who clicked on the link bought the thing because there was no shipping costs involved. It was a $6 ebook, unprotected PDF that they downloaded from Amazon, and that was it. I just, I really just haven't been motivated enough uh, to experiment with ebook pricing because it seems to me that it's going well. Fair enough. Um, well, we've had a, a good discussion of our ebook theme. Do you, uh, have any final comments that we overlooked? So what were the other two points that you brought up before I got to the third? Oh, I talked about um, not getting too seduced by sexy formats like the Kindle as far as sales. Oh, yeah. And I talked about the broader international audience. Yeah, the international audience, I'll just mention quickly. I mean, I've sold in over 50 countries now, and um, I often have to look on the map to figure out where they are. It's sort of the funny side of it is it became a like a ham radio operator thing that I collect the country names and keep track of how many ebooks I've sold in each. And sometimes I get a statement from PayPal that someone's bought an ebook and they'll have this outlandish, foreign sounding name. And it turns out they're always in the States. You know, the people overseas have names like Jones and Smith, and it's really funny. Um, on the first question about the glorified ebook formats, uh, we touched on that a little at the beginning. It's really the big trades who get obsessed with that stuff, and I just I feel sorry for small publishers who spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of, of effort trying to imitate large publishers because they think it's going to be a, some sort of bona fide for them. Yes, we're compliant with this standard. Yes, we do things just like the big boys. It's not going to sell them a single title. That's not what sells ebooks any more than it's what sells paper books. Uh, what what sells them is your marketing for the specific book. Good stuff. Well, I hope the uh, the warmer side of our personality shine through a little better. Morris has a bad cold, so he gets the the trooper award. So thanks for uh, being with us today, despite your ill feelings there. Hachu, hachu. And uh, sneak preview: if I can get Morris to sit down again, I I want to get him to talk about evergreen titles and evergreen meaning. Uh, titles that sell consistently year after year because that's at the heart of the self-publishing success stories that you hear and that's completely different than the traditional publishing model so uh, but you can't accuse me of, of calling that a cliffhanger because if you really want to know about it just head over to phonebooks.com and there's a, a video and probably a blog post as well on that yeah, topic well, already. The truth on the videos they're much easier to find on YouTube if you just go to youtube.com slash phonerbooks one word f-o-n-e-r-b-o-k-s on my website you'd have to search around for them. Yeah we might be able to pop in a link to that in the podcast description as well. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast look forward to hearing any comments or feedback you might have and uh, hopefully we'll do this again. Thanks. Good night. Have a good night.